You're listening to Brain Buster Radio. Hey everyone, David Conrad here, owner of the Gorilla Position Wrestle Store. We're an online store headquartered in San Antonio, Texas, bringing you the best in original wrestling shirts, accessories, collectibles, and more. We're glad to be partnering with Brain Buster Radio, and to thank them, and to thank you, we're offering 10% off all purchases with the coupon code BRAINBUSTA. That's B-R-A-I-N-B-U-S-T-A. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under at GP Store, or check out our website, www.gprestlestore.com. Remember, when you want the best wrestling experience, you gotta hang out in gorilla position. Hi, I'm the Asian sensation Kanji. You're listening to Queen's Court right here on Brain Buster Radio. Hello, hello, my darlings, and welcome to this week's episode of Queen's Court, yes, in which I talk G1 Climax in New Japan with Mike B, baby, and Extreme Rules with a little bit of fantasy booking and shooting the shit with my pal Speezy from the Spees and Benchmark show. Super exciting, y'all. We had so much fun, both of these guys and I. With Mike, we had a great convo, just Two New Japan fans talking about the G1 Climax, night one and two, our predictions for the future, what we thought about the matches, just really having a genuinely fun wrestling fan friend conversation. And then, of course, talking to the man himself, Mr. Spees, we had an absolute blast. So I'm going to shut my trap and we're going to get right to it. Strap in, babies. We are holding court with Queen in two very special segments about some really fun wrestling with two really cool individuals. This is a public service announcement. When you uh, address the Queen, you have a bow or curtsy. Thank you for listening. And this is Mags from the Badlands podcast, available only on Brainbuster Radio. All right, everyone, welcome back from that quick commercial break. And as promised, I have him here with me. I have Mr. Mike Baker, Mike B, baby, on with me today. Mike, how are you? I am truly thrilled and honored to be in the presence of the queen herself. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You are holding court with the queen today, and I am thrilled that you have joined me to talk some New Japan. Outstanding. I am absolutely excited to dive into this amazing, amazing past couple of nights with you. Oh my gosh, yes. And weren't they, though? Craziness. (laughs) I, I was literally shocked both nights. I was like, what is going on? I know. I feel like, you know, for I feel like a lot of people are watching the New Japan G1 Climax for the first time. Do you do you feel that way, too? I kind of see it on Twitter that people are just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to watch it and see what happens. For me, absolutely. And I think it was interesting because, in my opinion, they set up the blocks to show the two really main proponents of New Japan. Because, like I said, the A block to me is the pretty ballet, beautiful technical just high flying with a little bit of 
strong style is thrown in just like the beautiful matches and like the opera and the ballet and the B blocks like the Slayer mosh pit block. It's just like <laughs> I'm going to punch you in the face and you're going to punch me back and we are going to fight and I love it. Oh my god, what a beautiful description! I really love that the opera and the ballet versus the mosh pit. I'm kind of I kind of tend to agree. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Well, I mean, it's it's very, very interesting that they set up the blocks like they did. It was strategic, right? This oh. was a clear, I don't want to call it a separation, but a clear indication of what New Japan has to offer, at least in this vein. While it gives us so many other things, this is like, okay, look at all of these amazing wrestlers that we have at our disposal. And we're going to put them on display and let them showcase. That's what I feel the G1 is. What about you? I, especially this year, it's it's just there's so many variety in the blocks, but they're, they're still in a nice little package deal. It's, it's like, to me, it's like one side, like I said, it's like a buffet where they just separated it. They're like, okay, if you like this style, you can go this way. But if you like this style, you can go that way. But just in case, here's a little sprinkling of both in each block. Mm-hmm. Just in case you like it, then you'll want to check out the other block. So it's like, here's a few appetizers with this person, but over here, here's a main course with a whole bunch of people like that. And they have it in both blocks like that. And to me, I think it was just brilliant. This to me is the most far reaching as far as like New Japan making a concentrated effort to show, like you said, the the different varieties of wrestlers they have. Yeah, it definitely feels that way. Now, this is my third G1 that I've watched as I started watching New Japan. For you, how long have you been, you know, a New Japan fan? And, you know, is this your first G1, your multiple G1s? What's kind of your New Japan fandom that draws you into watching such a beautiful tournament? I, I, I'm like everyone else. I'm not going to lie. I got, I was in the midst of the um, Omega Bullet Club run mm-hmm. with the Bucks. That that drew me in because I came across it on Access. I'm like, oh, I've heard of these guys, and I watched it. I was like, oh, they're cool. And then I started seeing all these am- other amazing people on there. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. And then I found my guy, my favorite out of all of them and i was hooked and i've been the biggest fan of tomohiro ishii ever since god bless that refrigerator dude the stone pitbull that man is a wildness and we're definitely gonna dive into him a little bit later on for sure because there's a lot to say about ishii (laughs) so for block a and block b we have just 20 Completely different, crazy, exciting performers. So in Black A, we have, of course, Okada, Tanahashi, Kenta, Ibushi, Sonata, Zack Sabre Jr., Bad Luck Filet, Evil, Archer, Osprey. Just saying those names, like I'm reading it again, and I'm like, why? This is insane. And then you have Block B, which is Goto, Jay White, Ishii, Jeff Cobb, Yano, Naito, Moxley, which is crazy in and of its own self, Taichi, uh, Juice Robinson, and uh, Shingo. Just hearing those 20 names, what are some of the first things that come to your mind? The very first thing that comes to my mind is Lance Archer is a revelation. Mmm. 
Lance Archer and Will Ospreay was quite possibly the most amazing first round match I have ever seen in a G1. Yeah. I was blown away by that match. And I was like, for starters, Lance Archer came out looking like the Kurrigan from Highlander. And I'm like, I am here for this. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, he, he is going to kill somebody. And when he said everyone dies, I'm like, yes, they do. And you're probably the one who's going to kill them. And I'm here for it. That whole match, I was like, where has this been? To me, Archer was charismatic. He was powerful. He looked like someone who, who could win the entire tournament just based on the fact that he was in in a whole nother level. And not only was Osprey selling for him, but Archer was was literally was hanging with Osprey move for move as far as like visual and everything. And I was like, come on, Lance, where has this been? <laughs> There's a lot to say for each one of those matches, but this one in particular is super, super special. And I think we're going to start with that. But first, talking about A Block, okay, New Japan did something totally new this year. They started the G1 in America, Dallas, Texas. Now, for anyone who's a New Japan fan, and even those who are not New Japan fans, this is not what happens <laughs> so the <laughs> fact that they were in dallas and they put it on in america on american soil for an american tv network access tv shout out to them by the way they hooked us up with uh, some codes we had some giveaways our pals uh tanner from headlock talk went to the g1 with access that was crazy from your perspective did it feel different because it was in the u.s did it make a statement in a certain way what does it what did it mean to have the opening night of the g1 in the usa the main thing that i i think is that new japan is making a concerted effort to become a global company mm. to be seen globally and i think the american hardcore wrestling fan who enjoys like good wrestling is drawn to New Japan because that's what they provide. They, the care, the charisma of the performers—they don't even have to speak the language. And even though some of the big names weren't there, it didn't take anything away from the card at all because everyone on that card performed to the absolute best of their capabilities in the G1 matches. The tag matches before the little appetizers, like yeah, here's the B Block guys. But once it came time, it seems to me like once they said. This is the first match of the A block. A switch flipped, and every person went out there and gave the maximum effort to show that New Japan is, to me, the standard bear in actual wrestling. Yeah, you couldn't have said it any better. That's perfect. The standard bearer of actual wrestling. That's how I feel. And for me, the fact that the United States got to see Okada versus Tanahashi. That, that like, blows my mind, you know? The wrestling royalty that those two are is out of control. Tanahashi, the man that really pulled New Japan out of this kind of dark age era and the freaking future of New Japan in Okada, who is unbelievable. One of my favorite wrestlers, one of the best wrestlers in the world as well. Just to see that alone is worth your price of admission. Never mind everything else that you got. That's kind of how I felt about night one it was just a beautiful introduction for several people in north america 
to what New Japan offers on that side as, as far as the technical wrestling, the characters, the presentation. It's like Flash, but with substance. It's like a movie, but in real life because the the distinct characters. And I thought it was also very interesting that they weren't afraid to set up different people in different brackets. When I saw a night one, I'm like, Tanahashi and Okada night one in Dallas. Are you serious? <laughs> it's freaking nuts. What a way to kick it off. But really for me, it came down to these five block matches. You mentioned those tag matches. That was like an appetizer. You're right. They were great. We had that great tease for Ishii versus Cobb, which we're getting to oh. later, which was wild. You know, we had so many fun things that they put into these tag matches. G.O.D. got to show out, you know, and, and all that's great. But really, it's the meat and potatoes version that we're going to talk about right now. And we're going to start with Lance Archer versus Will Ospreay. Reflecting back on this now, thinking about what my favorite match of the night was. I thought it was something else. I was wrong because it was, I was so overwhelmed. But thinking about it now, I think this was my match of the night. These two together created something so magical. And, you know, you touched on it earlier when you talked about Lance. You know, he's kind of been around, but nothing really, you know, not to drag on the guy, but nothing super special catch my attention, right? Mm-hmm. And two years ago, this man broke his back. Look at where he is right now. Now, first of all, the new look, he looks like a character from Assassin's Creed. He looks ready to fight. He looks like he is here to make a statement. What a statement he made. And then you put him in with Will Ospreay, who's just, you know, if y'all don't know who Will Ospreay is, just Google it. Go into YouTube, watch a match. You won't be disappointed. He does so much more than just the flippy stuff. He's got so many things to offer, and them two together, magical. I literally did not move the entire match. It started fast. It kept the pace. It highlighted what both men do so well, Osprey doing that super underdog, fighting for respect for the juniors versus the imposing heavyweight who's like, I am not going anywhere. I am making a statement. I am here. I am on my own, and I am not afraid to just crush you and it was good versus evil at its finest it's the evil archer the terrible supervillain versus the brave superhero and will osprey and the thing i like about it is new japan isn't afraid to say you know what bad guys win you, you may not like it but i think everyone who watched that match when they were done were like you know what i just watched something amazing and i don't know if, how long it will be before i see something like that again Kudos to Access for doing what they do as far as not cutting out in the middle of a match. Yep. Isn't that nice? Oh, my goodness. They let every single match breathe and flow, and you could get caught up in it, and you got to experience every moment. And then you got a break after to catch your breath. But it was just so refreshing to not have to worry about something cutting out in the middle of a moment. Because in a New Japan match, sometimes there are no moments like that. It is zero to 100 the entire time. Yes. To see Archer take a top rope Spanish fly and sell it like a champ. To me, I thought I had seen really great 
athletic big men versus uh, little guy matches. But this was one of my favorites of all time as far as that kind of match goes because it was just amazing. And that's what I find super special about New Japan. You just never really quite know what's going to happen. Like sometimes you think you know, and then they do things and they lead you in the opposite direction, and then you're wrong. <laughs> so that's what I like. Because in wrestling, I feel like with all the dirt sheets and you know podcasting, and, and while it's fun, it kind of ruins the surprise, right? Because you hear about things and you read things that ruin the innocence of it all. That's what I miss in wrestling. And New Japan gives me that sometimes. Because I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. What I do know, though, was my least favorite match of the night was Bad Luck Fale versus Evil. I don't know what it is, Mike, but something with me and Evil right now, we're like at a crossroads. I'm just not feeling him right now. So it's a struggle for me to watch him wrestle because I just don't know what's going on. And I think a lot of that has to do with him being partnered with Sonata for so long without like anything really coming of that, you know, they didn't, I mean, they won stuff. Yeah. But there really wasn't anything keeping them together, I guess at this point. And I just kind of soured on the whole thing. But on the other hand, I really love Sonata. So I don't know what it is, but evil is kind of making me angry. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, fine. I'll watch this. And I just didn't really like it. I like bad luck. Fale. He's cool. You know, he ran through last year's G1 getting DQ'd and all this kind of craziness. So I kind of knew it was going to be a beat down of some kind, but I just didn't really get behind this one. So I was really curious as to what your thoughts were. Flat as a pancake. Yeah. Right. Oh, there was very little chemistry between the two there was very little storytelling because i'm going to smash you i'm going to smash you bad luck fall grenade over i think the problem for that match as well as what it followed it kind of may have done them a disservice being in that position or i mean but i don't think anyone expected archer and osprey to have the match they did but still it was just there it was like okay great here we go and it's over good next (laughs) Yeah, I kind of felt like Ariana Grande by saying thank you next, (laughs) but I just didn't really like it. Yeah, it just never got out of part. You're right. It barely got into reverse, you know, but be that as it may, it it is what it is. So we'll leave that one alone because I don't really think there's much to say on that on that one. But what we're going to talk about is Sonata versus Zack Sabre Jr. Talk to me about this match, please. Visual, physical ballet. It was beautiful, technical wrestling at its absolute finest. With the entitled snooty freaking vegan hydra, as Kevin Kelly called him, doing (laughs) everything he could to try and outwit and outthink someone who is his equal. And it, it was Zach does a masterful job at selling frustration when someone is his equal at technical wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that because if you're in your head, the best technical wrestler in the role and someone is matching you, you should be frustrated and you should be angry. And he sells that quite well. And Sonata, he's just a stone cold killer. He has, this just his eyes and his face he is about his business he 
his whole demeanor the entire match is just like I am going to win because I am going to not let you do what you do best. I'm going to stymie you and I'm going to frustrate you and you're going to make a mistake and I'm going to capitalize on it. It was basically to me, it was a fantastic offense versus a fantastic defense. Zack Sabre Jr. has the ability to cut a promo like funny but mean at the same time. I like watching him give those pre and post promos because I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate it, but it's so damn good and funny. So if y'all haven't seen him do those promos, you really need to do that. It's it's just a joy. Zach is one of the best at the arrogant above you. I mean, just what he even said about it, giving a cookie to a dog is what showing American technical wrestling like that. Yeah. I'm like, jerk. I love it. It's great. It is great. It's just so funny because, you know, this is a this was real beautiful technical wrestling. And I feel like a lot of people don't like that style of wrestling. You have to have a real appreciation for something like that to watch it and to really enjoy what you are seeing. The feats of strength and ability, the mindset, the psychology. It's so amazing to watch, but watching them two do it was so special. That chain wrestling, I've never seen anything as cool as that in a long time. I'm hoping that this is the start of a Sonata push. I feel like we've been, as fans, at least I have been wanting that for a while and they teased it, but haven't given it and I want it. And I'm very uh, not patient. (laughs) I I want it right now, even though I know I can't have it right now, but that's why I'm excited for this G1 because I feel like he's going to get to show out. Absolutely. I think Sonata is, is the guy who I think is being groomed to be the future of new Mm. Japan. As far as, 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 the standard bear for that technical wrestling side of it, because he's, in my opinion, is the best technical wrestler in New Japan right now. And yeah. I, I might step on a few toes with that, but I, I feel that he proves it every time he's in there with an elite technician like Zack Sabre Jr. The fact that he just hangs and does his thing and just goes on about his business and hits some reversals and some chain wrestling that he, prov- he provides that, that kind of old school mentality, but with a new school presentation that has star written all over it. And he's one of those guys, he doesn't even have to say a word. And he's so charismatic that you can't take your eyes off of him. I'm buying what you're selling. You're not talking. I don't need, I don't need you to, I know exactly. He's like so authentically himself. It shines through. That's, you know, people connect with that. He's so charismatic and so, Sonata-y. <laughs> That's a new word. Sonata-y. But he just is. He's just himself. And I find that authenticity really captivating. So great match here. And then we move on to a freaking strike fest. So we have Kenta versus Kota Ibushi. Just wow. Kenta is in the G1. Can you even believe I don't know. I, I welcome to the upside down. I double and triple check and, and 
for people who, who may have known him who he was, make no mistake, that that was a character. This is the man Kenta. This mm. is this isn't some some little this isn't a knock at WWE, but I feel like he never truly was put in a position to show what he truly is. Yeah. And he is a bad, bad man who will kick your head off your shoulders. Uh, without blinking, without second guessing, he'll be on top of you. And you better be ready because if you're not, you're going down and you're going down fast. To see him like this after seeing him in the WWE or barely seeing him in the WWE was like a shock to the system a little bit. You know, I'd gone back and watched a few of his other stuff, you know, from before in Japan. And that was interesting to me. But this is a different, I feel like it's different. It's darker. It's more menacing. It's very statement driven. Like, I'm here. My name's Kenta. If you don't know me, better get to know me because I'm going to run roughshod through this entire tournament. That's the mentality that I feel he's he's oozing, you know? So for this match to happen on night one, Ibushi, the golden star, against Kenta, just like, wow. And to, and to boot, he beats Ibushi. Clean as a whistle. Clean as a whistle. That's got to, I mean, that, that, makes a statement in and of itself even if he's you know i don't personally think he's gonna win anything but i think he's gonna have a very strong showing and you know if we look at booking right and we're thinking about gato and how he likes to plan these things you know the people that are in the finals usually lose soon and you know as this tournament begins but still the fact that kenta just came back and was like boom here i am i think it established him immediately as a threat to ruin anyone's in his blocks g1 mm. he's unconcerned about who your favorites are he is unconcerned about the the pecking order if you will he is unconcerned about anything other than showing that kenta is here to hurt you and so our boy is. coda though injured huge ankle heart. injury bless his heart i'm really nervous you know i i saw his ankle he posted it up and i'm like uh that doesn't look no. good I mean, props to him because he came out and he freaking did that. But, you know, not not easy. Makes me very nervous. Uh, this was, of course, after night one. But still, yeah, I don't know. But did you enjoy this match? I really, really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a nice change of pace match. I thought it was the, for me, this was the strong style appetizer that I was talking about. Yep, yep. Because it showed that side of New Japan where, you know what, we're going to punch, we're going to kick, we're going to chop, we're going to drop each other on our head. It's not going to be pretty, but at the same time, it's going to tell a very distinct story. For me, props to Ghetto for pulling the trigger on Kenta to win this match. I thought it was absolutely important that he have an early signature win against an established star. Kenta, Kenta is, I don't think he's either a heel or a baby face in this. I think he is just a Kenta. He is not here to get, if you cheer him, great. If you don't grab him, he is the perfect, perfect pairing up with Shibata. Because to me, Shibata was the same way. He didn't care. I feel the same way. If you cheered him or you booed him, he was here to kick your head in. Yeah. And the pairing makes sense. So I I enjoy that aspect of it. So I, I thought it was a very, very outstanding 
violent match. Yep. I loved it too. Same, same, and more same. And now for the main event, so to speak. <laughs> Okada versus Tanahashi. I got to tell you, seeing them fight each other is just a beautiful thing. Always is. But this was something special. What did you think about this main event? I thought the crowd was building and building and building to this match. And when it finally happened, you could feel the energy just crank up in the building. And you've seen them several times. For for some reason, the, the American crowd was so hungry to see it. I think it was one of their better matches together. I don't think that they're used to having that kind of energy because the Japanese fan is a little bit more um, reserved than the American fan. And sometimes you can get in and like, oh, yeah, we've wrestled before. We'll do this. But to me, once the crowd really got going, which they were going from the bell, it fired them two up. And they had a beautiful, beautiful match. It was Okada versus Tanahashi at its finest. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, that crowd was hot. Dallas is usually hot. But that was something really special. And what a moment to witness, you know, in person and, of course, at home. I just, I don't think enough can be said about it. It's just such beautiful wrestling and such beautiful performers within it. It's hard to tear your eyes away from it when you're watching it because you're seeing you know, not only you're seeing like history being made with the G1 for the first time, right, in the U.S., but you're seeing this iconic level match, and you're just, you know, for me, I was just taken aback by the the gravity of the situation that this was the last match of the night, and what a way to end it. What a way to make a statement, right? Block A, closing out Okada versus Tanahashi night one of the G1. This is what New Japan Pro Wrestling on this night, this block, this is the two guys who, who is, are this company. And what's interesting from here is we get a week to kind of percolate and pontificate on these matches before block B begins. Very different. Not usual. It gets to, in a way, build the hype up for what's coming up next. I was ready for Block B the moment they announced it. I was like, let's go. Give me this violence, please. I know. And severe violence, it was indeed. (laughs) So we freaking start Block B. Juice versus Shingo. I... (laughs) this was insanity when this match came on i was just sitting there watching it and i was like first of all what's juice wearing but that's another topic for another day second of all i i really like juice post dreads he shaved his head and i like him even more I don't know what it was. I don't know what it is. It's not like I dislike the dreads, but I feel like he just turned up a little bit. And this match with Shingo, I think, was one of my favorites of Black B Night 2. To me, when Juice cut his dreads, it was like, you know what? He can still be that flamboyant guy, but it gave him more of an edge. He wasn't mm. so much of a caricature. He was like, hey, it's the goofy guy with the dreads dancing around, you know? He he seems 
that he's realized that, you know, I need to go there mm. and, and, and not be goofy juice and be the juice that I, I had a hunch he was in there, but I mean, here lately, his little, his little, his left hand to God, whenever he's telling people to eat shit before he hits them. After he hits them, that's probably all they can eat is something soft and mushy because he is knocking the crap out of them. And and Shingo, that mean little dude, I, mm, he has got to be a chicken McNugget away from a heavyweight. Him and Juice are a perfect balance because Juice is a little bit on the lighter side of the heavyweights and Shingo is on the heavy side of the juniors. And they have this chemistry where they're like, you know what, let's just bash each other. Yep. It, it, it ain't going to be pretty. It's going to be like a demolition derby, and it's going to be physical, and we're just going to see who blinks first. Great point. Great point. This match was very hard-hitting, and for those of who haven't seen Shingo before, he's something very, very special. He totally ran through the best of Super Juniors, literally undefeated, until he lost against Osprey, which is no slouch to lose against either, but it Shingo made such a statement and he was like, all right, well, I'm going to go heavyweight. Let's find out what happens. And he's a beast, dude. He's really strong. I love to watch him perform and him and juice were really charismatic together. They had a lot of chemistry. I was kind of surprised, but not really surprised at the same time. I kind of was like, Oh, it like piqued my interest, I guess was what I'm trying to say. It sets up for good things for both of them in the future. Even though Shingo loses here, I still feel like he's going to have a decent tournament. It's his first one, right? And he's there's a lot of heavy hitters in here. So I don't feel like he's going to be like, you know, near the top. But I certainly feel like he's going to do quite well. They kind of did a little bit of an interesting thing on night one of the A block. Was it just me or did he look a little reluctant to do the fist raise with Naito? little bit. I mean, New Japan's really, really good at dropping those little seeds there. And they're in mm-hmm. the same block. There's a chance that Shingo could be the spoiler for Naito. Hey, it could be. Poor Naito. He had a night, didn't he? We'll talk about, oh. Why don't we talk about that next since we talked about Naito? Let's talk about Naito versus Yano. Yano is my international treasure i love him god bless that goofy god man. bless him he's such a goofball and so entertaining like so entertaining like you got so mad because naito was had a shirt under his shirt so he's like fine i'm putting my, my shirt back on and he was like so bent out of shape about it it was hysterical he's so interesting what a character he is and then of course naito is naito so this match happens, and I had thought this was going to be the one where things were going to go a little haywire for Naito, and I kind of thought Yano was going to win. And sure enough, <laughs> he freaking pins him. Oh, my God. This was a fun, comedy-esque match for me. Poor Naito. Bless his heart. <laughs> that poor guy. I mean... <laughs> He, he, at, after he got pinned, that look on his face was like, did that really just happen? Am I really owing to, did I really just drop two points to him? Oh, crap. And y'all know when he wins, the look on his face is always like, hey, I won. What do you think about that? Hey, didn't expect that to happen, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, his facial expressions are just 
to me, Yano is, is like you said, an international treasure. And I love how he does it, how he's, he, he can wrestle, but he knows what he does best. It just fed into a perfect little story now where, where Naito has to really crank it up because he's not, he's, he is in the worst position, I think, out of anyone because this really isn't his style, this block. I mean, he's, right. he's, he's in a war zone and he's, he's on the ground with tanks and he's more like a fighter jet. So it's, it, he's out of his element for sure. And even though Naito lost, like I mentioned earlier in A Block, you know, Gato likes to book the people that may win this whole thing to lose first out. So, you know, keep your eye on Naito and Ibushi, you're just saying. But with Ibushi's ankle, I'm a little nervous. He's my pick to win the whole thing. Oops. Oh, okay. Oh, stressed out. But anyway, <laughs> we'll move on. Let's talk about Wilf's favorite. Just kidding. <laughs> Taichi versus... John Moxley. Now, this is John Moxley's debut opening match for the G1. First G1 ever, obviously, because, you know, if you had talked to us maybe a year plus ago, we would have all laughed at you. If you had said, yeah, Dean Ambrose is going to be in the G1 in New Japan, we would have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> maybe in our fantasy booking. But uh, uh, nope, nope, he was here. <laughs> what did you think about this one? I, I don't see him as Dean Ambrose. I see him as John Moxley. Mm-hmm. I, I, he is a completely different kind of animal right now. And I, I will argue this with, with anyone. He might be the hottest performer in all of pro wrestling right now. I think you're right. He creates a buzz everywhere he goes. And he shows up at these little events and people freak out because it's, it's him now. But this, this was a... Very interesting because it shows what people are going are willing to do now to get the jump on him. They're mm-hmm. like, okay, we have to figure out how to deal with this loose cannon kind of guy. So we're gonna try and, and get the jump on him and do what we gotta do. And then he's got little Mox Jr. running around with him, wearing his shirt and everything. Well, <laughs> oh, little Mox Jr. Yeah, little showdown, me you now. <laughs> uh, it's it's I think it's interesting that they're together because Shota has a little glint of, of that wild wildness in him. And I think they're going to try and, and develop that a little bit to where he's like, you know what? I can, I can fight you if I need to. I'm, I'm, I'm not just some kid. I, I will fight you. And I think giving him that edge with Mox is helping him. And Mox is just Mox right now. I mean, he is just, I will fight you. I will drop you on your head and I will go drink a beer. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right with him. And and he's you're right. He's a loose cannon. He's a wild card. You're not quite sure what you're going to get. To be honest with you, I thought this was going to be a very quick match because Tai Chi. But he came out and was like murderous. He had murderous intent. No good, no good intentions there. And he came out and really made it more fun for me. I was a little like, you know, like I said, I was a little like, mm, I'm not really sure this is going to be kind of fast and whatever. Uh, no, actually, I thought it was great. And to have Miho there and the be- the best spot for me was when he put him through, when Max put Taichi through the table and he brings her over to look at him and he goes, oh, that sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> it was awesome. I'm like, oh, my God, yes. This is what I want from Mox. And, you know, I've talked about it before. I feel like his his handcuffs are off. He's 
unchained. He's free to be himself. And as I mentioned earlier with Sonata, it's that authenticity. You can tell when people are being 100% themselves because it resonates. He is having the time of his life. Yes. He's having so much fun. Absolutely. You can see, like, like, it's almost like a, a joy that he's able to, to do what he does best and do it in the style that he does best. He doesn't have to rely on the cheesy little moves that the, 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 the three, five moves. He's showing that he's a competent, capable performer, and he's also got technical skill. Yep. And he's being allowed to show that instead of just, oh, I'm the crazy man who punch, kick, and bounces off the ropes. It's You can tell that this is the version of him that he, he likes and mm-hmm. that it's authentically him. Oh, without a doubt. And he said he was bringing violence to the G1, and he brought violence to the G1, and I don't expect that to stop anytime soon. He's, he's an interesting addition to this G1 because of the other people in this block. Like this next match, which we were looking forward to, and we talked about it, and your favorite guy, Ishii versus Jeff Cobb. Jesus, Lord, help me. Big Hoss fight. Mm-hmm. Strength and power on display, the agility, the toughness. That's the two dudes to do it and do it right. So I feel like a lot of times Big Hoss fights can be slow and... <sighs> uninteresting and you know just a lot of grunting which there was but you know what i mean in a, in a bad way and it and it's not engaging and the best part about ishii and jeff cobb is they're very charismatic and they make that what they're about to do so interesting yeah there's a lot of striking yes there's a lot of hits to the neck but you're also going to see some amazing showcases of agility and strength so this is your guy talk to me I was overjoyed with the fact that this was a full throttle Ishii at his finest. Just him and Cobb. You could tell that there was some electricity between the two of them. And I think they discovered it just in that little tag match that, you know what? We can go there and we're going to go there. And boy, did they go there. They they parked the car, watched a movie, ordered a pizza, and they stayed there the entire time. And it was literally like two rams backing up and bashing heads and backing up and bashing heads. It was power. It was agility. It was ferocity. It was Cobb showing that I can go there. I can be just a badass. And Ishii saying, come on, and let's, let's go then. When Ishii has a partner who is willing to dance with him like that, there's nothing better. Nothing better than that. You're right. It's a beautiful showcase of his talent, of his abilities. I love Ishii. He's a scary dude, but like not at all at the same time. Like he, he's not a person I want to get in a fight with, but I also like want to grab a beer and like hang out and pick his brain because I feel like he's super cool and chill to hang out with at the same time, which is kind of funny, right? It's an interesting dichotomy. But I also think Jeff Cobb, you know, there's a lot to be said for Jeff Cobb. And I'm glad that he's in the G1 so he gets to show out and do some more things. That's what I want to see from him. So I'm very happy that he's in Block B. And the fact that we got this for night two, the first night for Block B, such a special thing. And how hot, you know, was the crowd at Block A night one for this match when they teased it. And then we get it. And I feel like it was everything we wanted and then some. 
this was one of those where I'm like, I have no idea who's going to win. I don't have yep. a clue. Someone's going to have to pull something out of nowhere. And yep. just back and forth and back and forth. Cobb showing his power and his technical skill. Um, to me, Cobb, the only way I can compare him is like a big giant Hawaiian Matt Riddle. <laughs> I like that. As, as far as he's kind of got that little dude bro mentality, kind of got that little swag to him about that. But he is a technical master wrestler. He's an Olympic athlete in wrestling. So he knows that those, he knows the suplexes, but he's got this, this, this man creature in Ishii. Who's like, drop me on my head. I'll get back up and I will cuss at you in Japanese. Yep. And, and I will hit you in the mouth and you, you will have to kill me to make me stop moving it forward. It does seem like that, doesn't it? He's like, I'll do whatever it takes. Like, I'm not afraid of you. Let's go. <laughs> and that's he's, something he's, you can really appreciate. He's like the guy of Monty Python. You could cut off his arm and he would say in Japanese, it's just a flesh wound and keep going forward. You're right. You are right. That's a perfect analogy. <laughs> I love that. It's just a flesh wound. And last but not least, we have Goto versus Jay White. Now, Goto has my one of my favorite entrance music that's ever happened. It's in my top 10 of best of all time. But he's facing Jay White, who's one of my favorite wrestlers. So this was a little hard one for me. Goto is very interesting. He looks a little meaner. He looks a little leaner. He looks a little darker, like he came ready to play for the G1. I like that. I'm happy about that. I also love Jay White. The heel work right now that he is doing, he grew that beard goatee situation. He looks a little different, looks a little uh, grittier, and he's just playing up that heelness to the 100th degree, setting up the chair for Gato to sit down and watch him wrestle. Don't worry, it's going to be 10 minutes, and Gato's all excited, clapping for Jay, and their relationship is literally the cutest in, like, a heel way, but still the cutest, and to watch the Switchblade in the ring is something very special. I really love Jay White. I love what he's about. I love what he's up to, and Goto beats him here, which, you know, oh, Jay White, but, you know, there's reasons for everything, and I think this is very, very fascinating. I really enjoyed this match. What about you? Every year, there's this, the G1. Mm-hmm. Or as I like to call it sometimes, the Goto one. Because <laughs> for some reason during this tournament, you get a completely different Hiroki Goto. Right. He just, something flicks in his head. He puts on not a bad match regardless of against who. And to me, he came in here and he stomped Jay's butt. He was like, I'm going to mess you up. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of shocked Switchblade because, you know, he's used to the, oh, here's Goto, yeah, 10 minutes. Mm, buddy, you are different with a whole different breed of cat here. The way Jay was playing it, Jay did the look of shock on Jay's face whenever, you know, just the savage force that Goto was bringing on him. Jay was shocked, and that was good to see him shocked. Every once in a while, it's good to see your big 
heel guy, like, oh my God, what is going on right now? And that's what happened. I mean, he caught, he basically was just caught up in like a, a, a freaking storm of angry Goto. A freaking storm of angry Goto. And I think he was not prepared for that. And you're right. Every now and then we just got to give our heels a little, you know what I'm saying? We need a little something, something. And uh, it was, it was nice to see. I didn't, mind that i liked the way it ended i liked that it lasted longer than jay or maybe others thought it might last which i think was even better (laughs) uh like i said that's and like you had mentioned that surprise factor of like oh okay well he's here to play games let's play games and that i like a lot this match was a lot of fun and it capped off the black b night two experience so as we're winding down here, night one and night two, here we are. We're now going to move into, you know, we had stuff today. We're going to have stuff tomorrow on Monday. This is when we're recording this, by the way, is on Sunday. It'll come out on Wednesday. There will be other things that have happened. But looking forward, what do you think we're going to see in the G1? And who do you think takes home the trophy and the title shot at Wrestle Kingdom? I think it is going to be one of the closest margin of victories. I think it's going to come down to um, a tiebreaker situation. I don't think there's not a single person, save maybe Okada, who is a clear-cut favorite in every match. Because, I mean, he's going to lose. He's not going to come out of the block unscathed. He's he's not going to have that Shingo type run where he's undefeated until the final. He's going to lose. Someone's going to catch him. And there's plenty of people in the block to do it. And I think this is the moment where they establish your boy, Mr. Space Pirate. I'm calling Sonata beats Okada in the G1. Whoa. Crazy. That that is my holy crap prediction. They're gonna okay. face each other a little later on, but Sonata gets a clean pin ball win over Okada. Wow, love that. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, D Block. I think somehow, some way, Naito's gonna scurry out of that. I feel like they're going to have to call an audible because I think Coda's hurt a lot more than what they want him to be. Because that that ankle, no, that looked bad. It did look bad. I mean, it looked real bad. And I think they they want to protect him because he's an investment. So I think they're going to put him in situations where, you know, there might even be a situation where he gets taken out and, and can't compete in the rest of the tournament just so he can have time to fully recover for that and come back and win. If that happens, he'll win the new Japan cup. Oh, good. Good shout. Good shout. I just feel that, that, that as much as I, my other thing is juice gets a win back against Mox. That's the other thing that's going to happen. Juice is going to get that win back against Mm -hmm. Moxley. And it's, it's going to set up a huge, huge title match and juice gets that title back so yeah. mox can can go ahead and, and go on into into what he's doing back stateside 
it's just there's so many good stories that can happen. But the big, big, big moment for me is who I think is going to win the whole G1. And I am going to go out on a wild, wild limb here, a wild limb. And I think they're going to go ahead and have Naito win it, but he's going to face Kenta in the finals. Wow, Naito versus Kenta in the finals. And you think he's going to win the whole thing? Naito's going to win the whole thing to give us that, that, that finish of the Naito two belt saga. Oh, my God. Ghetto likes, to, Ghetto likes to play the long game, mm-hmm. and it's been going for about a year now, and that's usually when he likes to tie nice little bows on everything. So I think Naito wins the G1. He goes through hell keeping the challenging rights. Then he goes and wins the belt at Wrestle Kingdom. Dude, if that happens, I'll be psyched. I love it. And that's what I think is going to happen. And then I have another theory, but that would really blow your mind. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. I I think what that sets up for is a shocking moment where Sanada beats Naito for the belt. Oh, snap. You think really? Yep. I Ooh. think I think they are wanting If you look at Sanada Sana does new look right now. He doesn't look anything like the evil L.I.J. gangster demon right. thing. He's more tortured, kind of a, a, a more of a baby face look. Hey, he's a space pirate. He's cool. He's like a Japanese Peter Quill. Hey. Yeah. So I think they're pushing him towards that role. And I think it's going to be the start of a long game. But I think before... The end of 2020, Sanada is your champion. Ooh. Well, I wouldn't hate that at all. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be really happy with that. I, I think a lot of people would agree with you and hope your theory is correct. <laughs> I have prognosticated and looked into the future. <laughs> Please leave a $5 tip at the door and take a card. Tell there you go. Tell your friends. I love <laughs> it. Well, my pal, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today for Queen's Court, talking G1, talking New Japan. I had a, a blast. So if you would, tell the Queen's Courtiers where they can find you. And, uh, oh, man, thanks again for coming on. Well, thank you for having me, Queen. It has been an absolute blast and a complete pleasure to talk about this amazing company with you and all of the loyal Denzians of Her Royal Majesty the Queen's Kingdom can find me on ye old Twitter at Mike B. Bebe M-I-K-E-B-B-A-Y B-A-Y and thank you again for having me this has been an absolute pleasure Oh my gosh, mine too. So much fun. Y'all go follow my pal Mike. You won't be disappointed. He's an awesome dude. And uh, stay tuned for what's coming up next on Queen's Court. Be sure to check out myself, Pops, and Mort 
every single Friday on DYWTSB. All right, everyone, welcome back from our quick commercial break. And as promised, I didn't lie to you. You thought I was lying. I know it. I can hear the doubt from here. But he's here. The man himself, Mr. Spees from the Spees and the Benchmark Show. How are you, Speezy? I'm doing great, although now I feel like I have to live up to that intro. <laughs> you know, you make it sound like there's somebody special coming. Ah, it's just me. It's just Spees coming. It's great to be here. I'm a fan of the show. So I'm always I'm always psyched about going on to shows that I actually listen to. And and thank you for having me on. I appreciate that. Any any opportunity to sit and talk some wrestling is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Well, I totally agree. And you're so welcome. Anytime you want to come on the Queen's Court, of course. Well, be but... careful because I, uh, <laughs> I start showing up more often than you like. No, not true. Not possible. I, I And you are someone special. So thanks for being humble. But you know, it's great. So I'm very happy to have you here to talk some wrestling, to have some fun. We're going to, well, it will be fun regardless, but we're going to have some interesting conversations, I feel like, knowing no you and I. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. No doubt. So there was this, you know, very short, quick pay-per-view last night being Sunday night. You know, God, it went by in such a breeze. It was like seven matches, including the pre-show, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Just kidding. There were like 12 matches. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it lasted a little bit of a long time, but not too bad. I mean, you know, it was over before 11 Eastern time. That's pretty good, considering. Yeah, I'm down here in the central time zone, so it's not mm -hmm. too bad for me because when they push the start time back, you know, it starts 6 p.m. local time here in Texas. So it's usually done by 10 o'clock or so. And, you know, that's not too bad. I, I can do that. Yeah, it's not too bad, but I, I will say that for their more heavier stacked cards in terms of how many matches there were, it certainly, at least to me, didn't feel that long. Like in retrospect, thinking about it, I'm like, oh, that wasn't really too bad. I mean, that was like five hours, including the pre-show. I guess that's kind of normal, right? Yeah, I don't know. Bit, that's a bit much. It's unfortunate that that's normal nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, you're right. It did it did move through kind of quickly, so that was nice. It didn't didn't plot along, and you weren't just uh, you know, <laughs> literally crawling to the finish line. I think <laughs> the the crowd seemed a little bit out of it there towards the end, especially towards the main event. But you know, all in all, a pretty each match I felt like got a, got a fair amount of time for the most part. And, uh, you know, nothing to where I just felt like, oh, my God, I can't possibly sit here and watch this anymore. And nowadays, that's that's saying something for WWE pay-per-views. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was like, oh, all right, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't so bad. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. And then I was talking to uh, Mr. Queen, obviously watched it with me. And my brother came over and they were like, yeah, not so bad. All right. Good. Maybe next pay-per-view at SummerSlam will be, you know, twice as long. I'm like, yeah, can, probably. <laughs> can we pause for just a moment and appreciate how awesome it is that you call him Mr. Queen? That's just excellent. <laughs> the fact that he is Mr. Queen. Is he is Mr. Queen. <laughs> I know. Everybody online is always like, you can't just call him the king. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's exactly what I was thinking. What's up with the king? No, he's Mr. Queen. That's just the way it is. He's going to deal with it. <laughs> He'll like it. He will like it. And he does like it. God bless him. So... Poor guy. As long as you don't make t-shirts like the man's man, he's <sighs> not having to walk around wearing a Mr. Queen shirt, then I'm sure uh, I'm sure he'll be all right. Please, would I ever do such a thing? Gosh, you never know nowadays. <laughs> you never know. 
No, you never know. Well, at least you never know with WWE what kind of stupid ass shirt they're going to give us next. But I never thought the top guy in the company, you know, the guy that's holding your most prestigious championship at the time would wear a shirt saying, I'm this girl's girl boyfriend. They're cute. You know, fucking stupid like that. But hey, here we are. Except, you know, Seth is not the champion anymore. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that, aren't we? So speaking of that, you know, overall, what were your general thoughts? It ends, pay-per-view's over. What'd you think? I mean, as far as WWE pay-per-views go, that's about as good as you're going to get outside of the big four, I think. Outside of, you know, SummerSlam, Mania, Survivor mm-hmm. Series, and Royal Rumble. I thought, was, I thought it was a solid show. I thought there was a little little something for everybody. You know, you had the big hoss fight between Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley, which to their credit, I thought that feud was going nowhere for a long time. And then you had the spot a couple weeks ago where they went through the backdrop at Raw and all of a sudden, you know, it injected a little bit of life into that feud. And I thought they did a good job with the, you know, with the uh, the last man standing match. I thought they did a very good job. And you had some great technical wrestling if that's what you're into with AJ Styles and Ricochet I thought was fantastic as you would expect mm-hmm. and how about Alistair Black and Cesaro both of those guys are outstanding I think a lot of people went in expecting that match to be very good and it's difficult in this day and age to live up to expectations I thought those guys did so and then some that match was absolutely outstanding and you had a little bit of everything you had uh, you had title changes you know we got new tag title you know new tag team champs you know, we got new uh, Intercontinental champ on the pre-show. And then at the end of the night, you had a, a money in the bank cash in. So there was a lot of shit going on. So, you know, again, in term, I say in terms of a WWE pay-per-view, but really for any pay-per-view, there was a lot happening. And that was, uh, you know, by the time it was all said and done, I was kind of catching my breath. And the more I, I, I thought back, I thought, man, there was a lot of cool shit that happened on this show. So, you know, kudos to WWE. I think they did a pretty good job. Uh, Yeah, I feel the same way. You know, we had a lot of wrestling this weekend. You know, we had the G1 going on, really starting to kick into gear now that they're back in Japan. We had GCW's 5150. We had, of course, Fight for the Fallen. We had a whole bunch of things happening, Evolve as well. And as far as the whole weekend went, I kind of thought, and this is going to sound weird coming from me, but I kind of thought this was like the most solid show end to end. I agree with you. I, I watched yeah. uh, I watched Fight for the Fallen mostly on Saturday night mm-hmm. and uh, kind of went back and forth because there were a couple of Evolve matches that I wanted to see, uh, particularly the uh, the Adam Cole and Akira Tozawa match, which I thought was outstanding. Yes. But uh, but yeah, you start to finish. Yeah. Like you say, the fact that you had The Undertaker come out in the opening match of the night. Right. Uh, that just tells you what 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 kind of solid card you had. A lot of people were upset that. You know, Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura ended up on the pre-show. But again, I mean, there were it's not like the matches on the main card were just throwaway matches. I mean, there were a couple here and there you could argue, okay, maybe that one could go on the pre-show. But all in Mm -hmm. all, like you say, start to finish a pretty solid effort. Yeah, I really think so. And, you know, the G1 is is very different than a pay-per-view. It's it's more of a tournament style thing. It's not like, oh, we're going to have all these title matches. It's not like that. So that's kind of by itself in its own way. But I feel like this show had, like you mentioned, a lot happening and a lot of storylines coming to something. I don't know if it's an end or if it's a beginning or if it's a whatever, but it something. They were developing some sort of story here, which I think was great. And the fact that Undertaker opened the show, I think 
this was the right call. And I feel for him, this actually showcased, you know, at this time in his career, some of the stuff that he still can do very well. And that was a good thing to see. And for me, I feel like this match was put here to kind of wash away the the previous one that he had, which was an absolute disaster match. Yeah, that's right. The stench of the Goldberg match. So for me, that was like a standout moment of like, okay, here I am. I'm the undertaker. Yes, I'm older, but I can still go and do some things. And they, they paced that match, I think appropriately. And it sort of set a a positive tone for the night. It was like, I don't know, like a solid high B, you know? I agree. And the fact that you had not only The Undertaker, but Roman Reigns, who a lot of people, you know, even even after he came back from his leukemia and, you know, we've seen fans warm to him a little bit after that. But still, let's face it, there's there's still a good portion of the wrestling community that's had about enough of Roman Reigns. And the fact that you put, you know, an all time great like The Undertaker, who you could put in the main event of any show nowadays and nobody would complain because they say it's the undertaker. And then you've got him teaming with Roman Reigns who, you know, has had a rocket strapped to him basically since he arrived. And the idea that those two guys would open the show, um, you know, really says a lot. And it, it, it it surprised me. I was stunned to see that match going on first. Um, I I wasn't altogether surprised to see that the, uh, the mixed tag match was the main event because you had the Mm. titles on the line. But to see The Undertaker and Roman Reigns, you know, jerk the curtain like that, um, you know, I I thought it was very cool. I thought I got the people fired up early on. And, you know, like you said, kudos to them. Undertaker looked great for, you know, as 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 good as you can look at his age. And and one of the things that, you know, for the people that don't follow my show, you know, I I host the show with with Silky Baines, who's been a, a professional wrestler for, you know, just under 15 years. And, and my background has always been in entertainment. I worked in film and video production for a long time. And, you know, the, the, the things that I tend to notice, and I think this was really on display in that first match, was how well that match was presented. There were so many just moments that you don't necessarily get from newer guys who aren't accustomed to being on television and knowing when to pause and where to be so that the camera can get the shot correctly. For instance, the one that sticks out to me and a lot of people mentioned it on Twitter last night was when the undertaker was, was standing over Shane McMahon and you just saw Drew McIntyre rise up behind him in the background. Mm. I mean, that was fantastic. It was such a cool looking shot. And again, if either one of those guys is ever so slightly out of place, that doesn't happen. And right. you get shots like that every now and then it really adds so much to the match. And Undertaker's such a pro. I mean, he just gets that there are certain things like he still does the sit up, you know, when when you're thinking he's dead to the world and he sits up and everybody freaks out. Or there was a moment early in the match where the referee was getting on him because he was pounding Shane in the corner and he kind of he kind of bucked up to the referee and the ref kind of jumped across the ring <laughs> like he was scared to death the crowd popped for that. You know, it, it's just little moments like that 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 really that really add to the overall value of the match. You know, a lot of times we get so caught up in just the wrestling, but there's always been an entertainment factor or there should be in my opinion an entertainment factor attached to it as well and to see that on display from the get-go from a guy like The Undertaker, I thought was great. And it was a great way to open the show. 
I totally agree with you. A lot of those little things are such big things, and not a lot of people appreciate that. It's character work. It's storytelling. It gives you that extra little something to this match to make it more special. When you have those moments like that, he's connecting with you know people in the audience. He's connecting with the people he's working with in the ring. That makes it so much more special, and I, I don't think you could have said it any better than that. So throughout the night, you know, we had some title changes. We had some more title retentions than, you know, switches, which is kind of understandable given that SummerSlam is up next, which we'll get to in a little bit. But first, you know, what was your top match of the night? The one that you would be like, yo, you should watch this one, if anything, from this pay-per-view. You know, I really would say, even though... I think the stakes were significantly lower in this match than so many other matches on the card. But really, I I felt like Aleister Black and Cesaro showcased what WWE can be. Mm. And I say can be because, you know, we, we hear a lot about how the WWE style of wrestling is watered down and it's not as hard hitting as it is in, say, New Japan and you know, the the move set that these guys that these guys have when they come into WWE has been limited to keep them from getting injured and so on and so forth. And and I think those two guys went out there and and they're both, you know, Cesaro is just so ridiculously strong and and we know about Aleister Black and the, you know, his striking ability and so on. And they had a really stiff, crisp, hard hitting match. And it Mm -hmm. was, it really looked like these guys were kicking the shit out of each other. And that's the kind of wrestling that I appreciate. I like to look at it and say, Oh my God, that had to hurt. Because that's the idea at the end of the day. You know, it's it's simulated combat. These guys are supposed to look like they're hurting each other. And those guys really looked like they were hurting each other. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of guys in WWE that can showcase that kind of hard-hitting offensive ability. And hopefully, and you know, I mean, you heard it. We got the This Is Awesome chant going on during that match. I mean, the crowd loved every second of it. And, and rightfully so. Those guys, those guys killed it. But that's, uh, you know, that's something I'd like to see more of from WWE because there are guys in that promotion that can put on those kinds of matches and, and can do so safely. And so, you know, if, if I was going to tell somebody to watch, I, I'd have them watch that match, even though I feel like, honestly, it's a little bit different from what we normally get with WWE because yeah. it is a little bit watered down from time to time. So. I watched that match and and thought to myself, man, this is what this promotion could be. And hopefully the reaction from the crowd and, you know, the 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 good things that people are saying about that match online will get into the right ears of the people working in WWE and we can start to see more of that going forward. Yeah, I I'm hoping so too. I like you feel that this style can be done by safely by the people that they have backstage they can structure their pay-per-views and their weekly television shows to have this type of feel but when you put two guys who are some of the best european wrestlers on the screen right now together by the way no real build for this just alistair asking someone for a fight and cesar going yep it's gonna happen great Let's do it. And that's exactly what we got. How many times 
do we and like gimmick as well? Yeah, I mean, right. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, you know, it's okay. the, yeah, of all the gimmicks that we had on this show, there's no gimmick involved with this match. It was just two guys in there, and and they didn't do a lot of stuff outside the ring. I mean, we had a couple things here and there, but for the most part, it was just these two guys in the ring beating the shit out of each other and showing you that you know the guys don't have to be flying off of ladders. And cracking each other over the head with chairs and putting people through tables and all that kind of shit. I enjoy that as much as the next guy. But at the same time, you know, these guys went out there and said, hey, we're capable of doing this. And and I know that they're not the only two guys on that roster that are capable of doing that. And so, again, I, I hope we see more of it because I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was great. Yeah, me, me as well. And to your point about the no gimmick, how many times do we look at you know, what they're giving us and like, oh, come on, just let them fight. Just let them fight. How many times do we say that? This was an exact example of that, yeah, you know, totally the watered down version. Some, it, it, It's okay in certain situations, but when it's repeated over and over again, you're just like, oh my God, just let it happen. Let it happen. And it's happening. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to see. I agree. I would show them that match. And surprisingly, I actually would show them the mixed tag, even though I have lots of thoughts about it. I think this was one of the only mixed tag matches that I actually enjoyed for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons is because Baron Corbin did the end of days on Becky Lynch. Which was outstanding. It was outstanding and it was wonderful. Uh, I liked the character work. I haven't liked Lacey very much. I like Baron Corbin even less. However, this one for me, I was like watching this going, Okay, I like I could actually kind of let myself enjoy this a little bit. I liked the perceived violence of it. Could I do without Seth on her shorts? Sure. Yes, I could do without that. But I understand the point and I understand what she was trying to do. And it it came off better than when it some of the other stuff they've done in the past, at least to me. So when this went down and they brought in the kendo sticks and things were getting crazy and then, you know, freaking um uh Corbin gives her the end of days I was like okay now I feel better about it because originally I thought it was going to be a total disaster because to me Becky and Seth are a total cringe fest when they speak so I'm really happy (laughs) that there was just not a lot of that in the match and it just was was hard hitting for the most part yeah and it told a good story you know I mean every time it, it looked like Seth was in a lot of trouble or, you know, for instance, the uh, when when I believe Seth had the kendo stick and he approached Lacey and she tried to sort of come on to him, you know, mm-hmm. and then here comes Becky and just starts wailing the shit out of Lacey Evans. And that, that I mean, that's great. And uh, and, you know, like you said, there there was the moment where Baron Corbin drops Becky with the end of days, which was, again, outstanding. And, and Seth completely goes apeshit, as you would imagine, somebody right. who just watched his girlfriend get the shit kicked out of her by some other guy. And that's again, that's just that's good storytelling. But uh, yeah, I thought the storytelling in the match was really good. I thought uh, I I thought it set itself up perfectly for the cash in for Brock Lesnar. I mean, Seth has just gone completely nuts and he's totally gassed from kicking the shit out of Baron Corbin. And so for Lesnar to come down there and take advantage of that, I thought it was a good as good a spot as any for it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times you get in those situations where. You know, a cash in comes where somebody's just completely dead to the world and it's it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to work. I remember when Brock was coming down, I was thinking, shit, you know, Seth's not exactly dying out here. You know, this might not be as easy as as Brock's making it look. But then, of course, he is Brock and he made it look pretty easy anyway. (laughs) 
Of course. But it's still, I think it still worked out well. I, I thought, you know, I'm with you. Generally, intergender matches or or mixed tag matches, I should say, are not really my my cup of tea. And I went into this one with pretty low expectations. But I I thought they did a fantastic job with it. And you know, you couple the couple the finish, which I thought was very well done. I thought, I mean, that move for Baron Corbin is just outstanding. I, I'm yeah. a Baron Corbin guy just because. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's getting people mm-hmm. to boo him. He's getting people to just hate his ass. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you want. Right. And I'll say this. The end of days is is one of the few finishers out there. And if you guys follow me on Twitter, which you can follow our show account at Spees Benchmark on Twitter, you know that I hate how much we burn finishers nowadays and nowadays in pro wrestling. Guys yes. kick out of finishers all the time. And it just drives me completely apeshit. I can't stand it. But one of the few protected finishers out there is the end of days. Nobody kicks out of the end of days. I've never seen it happen in NXT or on the main roster. I think somebody said it might have happened once. But whenever it was, I missed it. So for him to hit her with that move, which Mm -hmm. has been set up as such a devastating move, it just brings that much more heat on that guy and makes him that much more unlikable. And then he looks across the ring at Seth and says something along the lines of, now nah, you're next, you piece of shit. And yep. I just thought it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Yeah, I feel the same way. I really, I just don't like Baron Corbin. I, I understand that he's doing his job to make me not like him, but like separately than that, I just don't like him. He's just not my cup of tea. So this was the, the when this happened and he called Seth a piece of shit. I was like, yes, honey, you just speak on it. <laughs> exactly. You I speak either. on it for me because I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and I felt like kind of a little bit relatable to Baron Corbin. And I'm like, all right, maybe I'll give him a break a little bit after that. That was good. But now we have, you know, the Lesnar cash in. We have AJ Styles as the new United States champion. We have Shinsuke Nakamura as the new Intercontinental champion. And we have the uh, New Day as the new tag champions. So we had four title changes. That's a think, lot. Which That's is a lot. It was more than I thought given SummerSlam. But still, because it was paced out, I think, through the show, it didn't feel like that until you go back and you're like, oh, shit, that's four titles. That's a lot of titles. (laughs) So thinking about that, in terms of storylines, you know, you had, of, uh, of course, everybody else retained. So for those that didn't get their titles, like Samoa Joe, for example, I was talking about this a little bit on the Bob Bob Culture podcast when I was thinking about Joe and how they never pulled the trigger on Joe, and I feel like if they're not going to do it now, they're not going to do it. And I was curious as to your thoughts on the fact that he's constantly put in these title positions, but yet nothing really happens. And then when he did get the U.S. title, it was hot potatoed right after. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and I've I've made the comparison, and, and this is not at all based on their their talent. Um, but to me, Baron Corbin and, and Samoa Joe are a lot alike in that it seems like Corbin continually gets pushed right to the precipice of, you know, winning the WWE title or winning, you know, the universal championship. We saw him capture the money in the bank, but then he failed on the money in the bank cash in. And we've seen him have title shots in the past and the title shots haven't come through, you know, and he's had 
a couple of title reigns here and there with some of the smaller titles, but they never seem to pull the trigger. And and Samoa Joe is exactly the same way. And we lament on our show quite often how unfortunate it is that that Samoa Joe mm. hasn't enjoyed more success. Because if you look at it, we talked about this last week heading into this mm-hmm. pay-per-view. The yep. storyline between Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, when Joe was, you know, taunting him about his family and showed up at his house and all that other kind of stuff. You know, they ended SmackDown Live with Joe saying, Daddy's home. And then it cuts to black. I mean, that was absolutely brilliant. That, to me, was one of the best main roster builds in years Yep. in the WWE. And, and at the end of the day, they didn't pull the trigger. And, and Styles had had that title for a while, and people were starting to clamor for a new champ. And Samoa Joe, to me, right there at that moment was the, I mean, it was the perfect opportunity and, and they didn't pull the trigger. And we saw something somewhat similar in the build to his match with Brock Lesnar a couple of years ago for the Universal Championship, where Joe was built as a guy who could legitimately beat Brock Lesnar. He was choking out Brock on Raw. He was choking out Paul Heyman and he looked like a total badass and they had the one match and the match was pretty good, but then that was it. It was, it was over and done with. And, you know, we talked about how unfortunate that was. It would have been nice to see that feud last a little bit longer and maybe have Joe be the guy that beats him. And so when we were doing our preview for extreme rules Silky and I were very much of the same opinion. You know, you you can't take Joe seriously in these kinds of matches, no matter how great a job he does at building the feud, which he's as good as there is on the roster at doing that. But sooner or later, he's got to win one of these matches. And he's quickly becoming, if he hasn't already, one of those guys that you know when he's in a high-profile match, it's just not going to happen for him. And that's unfortunate because, again, I think Joe is the kind of guy that not only can sell you on a match based on his character in the ring and the way that he fights and his size and he's just a badass and he's just a mean motherfucker. He just looks like he can kick your ass. Mm -hmm. But, man, he can sell a feud. He's such a great talker and he can get you – to root for the other guy. I would, if if I were a wrestler, I'd be chomping at the bit to get into a feud with Samoa Joe because he makes his opponents look so great. And I just feel like a guy like that should be invaluable. But again, he's only invaluable if that air of confidence and that air of him being a total badass is backed up by him actually doing the deal and winning a match every now and then. And unfortunately it's not happening time's running out on Joe. You know, Joe's not a spring chicken. He's, he's pushing 40 years old. If he's not 40 already, I mean, he's, he's getting up there. Um, man, I would love to see him have one great run because I, I, I just think the guy's spectacular. And I was, you know, listen, I'm not going to knock Kofi's title run. His title run has been great. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Joe fan and, and I hope at some point that he, he does, he does get over the hump and they, they pull the trigger with him. I really hope so, too. And that, that's the reason I picked Joe to win, even though I knew deep down it was never going to happen. But I really want it to happen, because if you're not going to do it now, when are you going to pull the trigger? You're just not going to pull it then. And you're just we're just going to waste this guy and not a WWE title picture. Could it happen down the line? Possibly. But to me, you know, and this is my issue with Brock Lesnar, when you're having this man cash in, all right, he won the 
freaking briefcase, whatever. Okay, I liked him in Brock Party. That was actually hysterical. He was having fun. I like that. But the it's like, is it going to be the same old, same old with him? Is he going to disappear with the belt again? Instead of giving it to someone who can constantly deliver week after week. And on the mic, too. Not that I mind Paul Heyman. I like Paul Heyman. Brock doesn't need to talk. But just in, in that way of someone who can carry and do all of those things on his own. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of part that bothers me. Yeah, and I hear you because, um, you know, full disclosure, again, I'm a Brock Lesnar fan. I'm a Brock Lesnar fan in that I feel like when Brock Lesnar shows up, and I get that people don't like that he doesn't show up. I completely understand that. But I'm getting up there in age myself. You know, I grew up, I watched wrestling in the in the mid-80s when the big boom was happening. And guys like Hulk Hogan didn't have matches every week on television. They just didn't. Right. When Hulk Hogan had a match, it was a huge deal. And somebody get when somebody got a shot at Hulk Hogan, it was a huge deal. And that's what I dug about that era. And and we saw it off and on in the years after that. But somewhere along the way, we got to this this fighting champion thing where the champ right. has to show up every week and has to defend the title all the time and has to be on television all the time. And I know not everybody's a Jim Cornette guy. I'm a Jim Cornette guy. And one of the things that he says on his podcast a lot is, how can we miss you if you won't go away? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things about a guy like Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I'd love for him to show up more often as well. But I don't think many people can argue that when he does finally show up and he does finally have a match, there's a buzz around that match because people are thinking to themselves, wow, is this? are we finally going to get rid of this motherfucker? Is somebody going to beat this guy? And the that can't happen with somebody who's there every single week and is in television is on television all the time. You know, it just people get burnt out with it. And so I don't have a huge problem with it. I would love to see him show up more often because I still think I mean, he showed us last the last couple of years at Survivor Series against Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. He, the guy's still got good matches left in him. Mm-hmm. And the UFC's the UFC thing is gone now, so hopefully he'll focus more on the wrestling thing and we'll see more of him. But, you know, I like the idea of title matches being a huge deal and mm-hmm. not happening all that often. And I, I, I did this. I, I looked last year. I can't remember. I want to say it was last year on our podcast. And I looked at the 2017 uh, New Japan title run for Okada. And I believe Okada had in 2017, somebody will check this on me. So I want to make sure that I'm <laughs> saying that I'm, I'm trying, doing my best to recall this, but I seem to recall that I, I, I want to say that Okada defended the IWGP heavyweight championship six times in mm. 2017 and Brock Lesnar defended the universal championship five times, but mm. you would never know that you would never know that Okada only had six title defenses, one more than Brock Lesnar, because people go apeshit about the fact that Lesnar, oh, he's never around, he never defends the title, we never get to see the title, and so on and so forth. And I get it, Okada's there having, you know, 18-man tag matches like they do in New Japan. From t- that's my big knock of New Japan. There's too many fucking tag matches. I know, there are a lot of tag you know, Can we get some singles matches on the fucking cards? I'm tired of seeing eight-man tag matches four fucking matches in a row on the pay-per-view before I get to the two singles matches on the cards. But anyway, <laughs> I get it. Okada's around, but he's not defending the title left and right. It's, it's That's not happening over there either. That's the mm-hmm. way it should be. That's how you build prestige behind these titles. And granted, the guy's got to be there. He's got to show up. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with it being spread out a little bit more and make the title matches actually mean something when they happen. 
Yeah, and I and I and I'm I'm with you. I don't mind when they go away. It's when they go away for too long. That's my problem. Agreed. And WWE has the problem of hiding people for extended periods of time, particularly Brock Lesnar, but also like Asuka when she disappeared. What? Uh, what? Why? There's it's gone for too long. You, for a little bit, yes, it builds some mystery and some intrigue, and it makes us miss them. I totally agree with you on that. But when it goes past a sort of, I don't know, a couple weeks, a month, once you're pushing two months and they show up maybe one time, I feel like as a the champion of the company or one of the champions of the company, you got two major belts, you got to be there at least a little bit to show it. But I'm with you. I mean, you know, New Japan builds it that way on purpose. And WWE just doesn't do that. Yeah, they, or give us a reason, give us a reason right. why the guy's gone. Exactly. Don't just have him Correct. disappear. Let Brock Lesnar cut a promo that says, you know what? This ain't worth my fucking time. I'll, I'll come back when you clowns actually get somebody who can give me a match. There it is. And when he when it, when it when it's worth my while to show up again, then I'll show up on your dumbass show. In the meantime, you guys can all go fuck yourselves. And everybody will hate him. And it's perfect. That's exactly how it should be. Mm-hmm. And some guy will come up through the ranks and start winning a few matches here and there and say, I'm coming for you, Brock. You better dust off your fucking trunks and be ready to go because I'm going to be there. And then if you mm-hmm. build it up like that, and Brock shows up and kicks the shit out of this guy and they give him the match anyway. And then you're really pulling for him. Like, oh, shit, man. He finally got Brock. This is the guy that got Brock Lesnar to show up. He needs to kick this guy's ass. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there's your there's your build for it. But don't have him just go away just for the hell of it and not not say anything about it. That, that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree. You have to have some sort of story, some sort of believability. It needs to be some something to engage us in and invest us in the new person who is going to rise through the ranks. And they, I feel WWE needs to do a better job of building credible opponents for Brock to the point of, okay, now we can feel that maybe this person, person X, has a real legitimate shot at giving Brock a, a good match and potentially winning. And it, when that kind of happens, that I think is when it feels good. The AJ uh, Styles won, the uh, um, Daniel Bryan won, even when he fought Finn, that was a great match. He just does well with smaller guys Definitely. for whatever reason. It just it works for him. It just does. So what I, that's how I feel as well. But as we look towards SummerSlam, we have these four title changes now, and we're looking towards SummerSlam, which is the biggest, you know, one of the big four, big pay-per-view of the summer. It's leading us into the fall season, which, of course, we know SmackDown is moving to a different night, which is Friday, and we have Raw on Monday. Looking at SummerSlam, what are the storylines that you're invested in now that these titles have changed, and what do you think they can do to make the program can't miss. Well, they're running short on time because SummerSlam is right around the corner and, you know, doing all these title changes at the last minute like this. Um, unfortunately, if you're, if you're looking for a, a long-term storyline going into SummerSlam, unless some of these title changes uh, end up in rematches at SummerSlam, you're not really going to get those long-term storylines because we're, you know, still pretty close to the show. I know a lot of people last night were clamoring for, okay, you know, give me Seth and, and Brock Lesnar again at SummerSlam. You know, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I've kind of I've kind of seen enough of Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. But to your point about, you know, building up a credible challenger for Brock Lesnar, there's not a whole lot of time to do that. 
Right. So there's not somebody that's that's just standing by that that, you know, should he step to the forefront and say, hey, I want Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Um, you know, there's nobody waiting in the wings that you feel like could legitimately do that and have everybody go, yeah, OK, that that, that could happen. So WWE's got some some work to do in that regard. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough to say, Queen, because like I said, they really threw us a curveball with all these title changes at Extreme Rules. Um at least in terms of SummerSlam, because again, we're talking what maybe four weeks away mm-hmm. before we get to, to SummerSlam. There's not a lot of time to get things built up. So, you know, it, what am I looking forward to? Obviously, I, I'd like to see what happens next with Brock. Um, you know, whether or not they keep the title on him, it, w- it would seem to be, you know, unlikely that he would win it just to give it right back again at SummerSlam. But stranger things have happened. Um, you know, I'm a big revival fan. I love the the tag team division. I think there are some some tag team matches that could definitely be good. Uh, you know, the Viking Raiders are coming up. Put the Viking Raiders in a match against the revival. I think that would be outstanding. Yes. Uh, although I'm, I'm still not quite sure what they're doing with Viking Raiders. I'm assuming that they're heels. So I don't know how them versus the revival would match up as far as, you know, heels and faces are concerned. But, you know, obviously that could be a, a very good match as well. And, you know, we'll have to see what happens with with Nakamura. I, I was stunned that Nakamura took the Intercontinental title off of Finn Balor. Uh, mm-hmm. But yet, if you, you know, if you look at what people are talking about, uh, maybe that opens the door for for Balor to team back up with AJ Styles and uh, and the club. Mm-hmm. They're on separate shows, so we'll see how how that works out. But, uh, you know, there are some 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 there's some potential for some intriguing storylines. Um, but again, as far as something that's really going to get me fired up between now and SummerSlam, I think at this point, the best I can hope for, just my personal opinion, is for something new, something that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, since you're not going to have a great deal of time to try to work in a, a good, solid story, I think something new like a like a Drew McIntyre stepping up and and you know, getting into one of the big title pictures, maybe Drew McIntyre stepping up to, to face Brock Lesnar. Um, mm. Something along those lines that we, that we haven't already seen. Um, I'd be all for that. I would be too. Do you think we see any returns at this SummerSlam? Perhaps Bray Wyatt, Ronda Rousey, Sasha Banks. We've heard those names kind of being thrown around. Bray, of course, has been teased at coming out at any minute. Yeah, okay. So what do we think? Do we think we're going to get any surprises like that? Yeah, I think Bray Wyatt is the one that is most likely to happen. I don't mm-hmm. I don't keep up with the dirt sheets too much. I've heard a little bit about Sasha being in training and potentially being back at any minute now. So, you know, that, that will be good. It'll be good to have her back. Um, but Bray Wyatt has really say what you will about the Firefly Funhouse, And I happen to be a huge fan of it. I think it's great. Um, it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell's going on half the time. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> I don't think a lot of people do. It's one of those things that makes me want to come back. You know, yeah. I want to see what's going to happen next. You know, kind of, we talked about it earlier with that Lashley and Braun Strowman spot where they went through the backdrop at Raw. Okay, now I want to see these guys in a last man standing match. What are they going to do to top that? You know, and and there's not a lot of that going on where you say, oh man, I really want to tune in to see where this is going to go. And Bray Wyatt is one of the few storylines that I feel like, okay, 
we've seen what's going on as far as his character goes. We've seen this Firefly Funhouse. We've seen the characters popping up backstage, you know, in the background mm-hmm. and so on. What's he going to look like in the ring? What's what's is he even going to look like Bray Wyatt? Is he going to look like the Mr. Rogers character? Is he going to be that psychotic with the mask? I mean, what, you know, is, is it going to be the same kind of moveset, the same kind of matches? You know, what are we going to get out of him? I think there's a lot of intrigue surrounding that. And that's one of the things if you were going to pinpoint something that I was looking forward to just from a an appearance standpoint, because, I again, I don't know what kind of feud you can build for Bray Wyatt between now and SummerSlam, but just to see what he brings to the table uh, in terms of his in-ring persona, I'm very much looking forward to that. I don't know what's going on with Ronda Rousey. She's just such an odd person. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about baby making vacation and all that kind of shit. Like, <laughs> I know. It. I don't want to know Ronda. Like, I don't want to know. That's great. Good on you. But don't tell me, you know, it's, yeah. So, you know, having her come back, that, that, I suppose that could, uh, it would certainly spice things up in the women's division, but, you know, looking, looking ahead, I think Bray Wyatt is going to be, uh, somebody to keep an eye on and, and hopefully they'll have something for him in the ring by, by SummerSlam. That's what I'm hoping for, too. I think he's the one, if anybody, to make that return. I don't think in a match capacity, but in an appearance capacity. And hopefully to just give a little kind of sinister little smile and laugh and wave at whomever he's going to challenge next. That would be really cool. Um, But I agree. I'm, I'm most interested to see what he's going to do. I think for me, WWE has a big challenge. Right now, there's not a lot of things I'm personally excited about in terms of their storyline. And I feel like this is kind of their tying up of a couple of things before we move into the fall season of shows. And when things are separated um, on these two different days, maybe we'll see some more changes there. I'm not quite sure what to expect. At least that is what I'm looking forward to post-SummerSlam. But, you know, there's going to be lots of changes in the fall. You know, not everything's going to be the way it is right now. And that's, I think, really exciting. And, of course, we have AEW coming on either Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So that's going to be interesting. And it seems like WWE is going to push Evolve more. So that's kind of cool. Evolve's really interesting and fun. And that match with Adam Cole and Nakira Tozawa was outstanding. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. But, yeah, it seems like there are things to look forward to. But in the limited time frame between now and SummerSlam, I'm a little concerned. I feel like we're just going to get repeats of things. And they said, oh, you know, after the mixed tag that if we win, you know, then you guys aren't in the title picture anymore. Well, if that's the case, then who is? Seems yeah. natural to make Seth versus Brock. But like what's going to happen for Becky, I guess. Yeah. And Becky, to me, has had a couple of storylines that we never really you know, closed, uh, mm-hmm. most notably to me anyway, with Nia Jax. And I know a lot of people scoff at Nia Jax and the idea of Becky Lynch against Nia Jax. Like, Oh, we're just wasting time. Nia Jax terrible in the ring and so on. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, you know, that was the biggest storyline on the, the women's side of things was Nia Jax knocking Becky Lynch's head off. Um, and you know, there was one little scene backstage where Becky slaps Nia Jax or whatever clocks Nia Jax. And that was it. You know, to me, they got to settle that in the ring at some point. So there's still that out there. Number one and number two. And I understand that she's in a tag team now, but the, the fact that Oscar beat Becky Lynch on back to back pay-per-views. Yeah. 
and then just disappeared from you know she dropped the title the the title to Charlotte and then just disappeared from from singles wrestling and pretty much from WWE altogether and then she comes back and she's in a tag team like again you're 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 trying to build Becky Lynch as this unstoppable badass you know and so on and so forth and to me the two people outside of Charlotte obviously but you know the other two people that that she should have the biggest beef with would be the girl that knocked her fucking head off and cost her all that time and caused her to miss a pay-per-view and all this other kind of shit. And the one that beat her on back-to-back pay-per-views. It seems like either one of them would be the logical choice uh, for where we go from here. But again, I, I don't know how close Nia is to coming back from, from injury. And, you know, we've still got this, we've still got the women's tag titles out there. I think. I think maybe. Like yeah. It just seems Who like being, the Kabuki warriors to, to go, uh, to go and snag those. So it, it doesn't look like Oscar is going to be in any, you know, singles matches anytime soon, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it's a short period of time and, you know, we, we haven't talked about it up to this point, but it'll be very interesting. And one of the things I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to see what kind of changes, if any, uh, Paul Heyman and, Eric Bischoff bring to their respective shows. If, if we're to yeah. believe what we're being told that these guys are going to have a say and a pretty legitimate say, and obviously it's going to end up being, you know, Vince McMahon that makes the final, final call. Yeah. Um, but just having a couple of guys like that who have been in the industry for as long as they have, and they're wrestling guys um, running things back there. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how things play out going forward and whether or not we can start getting some more of the long-term storytelling that people like you and me really enjoy. Yeah. Hey, fingers crossed. We can hope. I'm not. I don't know how much hope I have because I feel like every time they tell us something, it's not real. <laughs> but, yeah. Hey, you never know. And hopefully, yeah, as we move into the fall, we'll see some of those things that that we would like to see in terms of WWE. And to be honest, in my opinion, they need to. They need to do something. That's going to capture their audience widely, not just casual fans. They cater to casual fans a lot, and I understand why. But I also think you need to cater to the hardcore wrestling fans. Give us something, too, to be invested in. Because I feel like lately there's there's been a lot of turmoil these past couple months. At least that's how I feel watching it. I've gotten bored and there's so many other options now. So I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. I, I think from what from what you hear, and again, I don't put much stock in people's sources and right. you know, who they're hearing things from and so on. But the 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 the, the prevailing theory seems to be that WWE is under the impression that, look, we've got the hardcores. The hardcores aren't going anywhere. We got to bring in the casuals. We got to bring in the kids. We got to bring in the families. We got to bring in the moms and dads um, and get them back invested in wrestling. Because again, you know, showing my age here, but when I was a kid, you know, and you went to shows, it was whole families going to shows, you know, it was whole families yeah. showing up. And, you know, on Sunday mornings, you know, we got together, me and my dad and my brother, and we all sat down and watched wrestling together, you know, and my dad watched it, not because, you know, all his kids were watching it. So he watched. no, he, he wanted to watch it. It was, right. it was 
cross generational like that. And so, you know, that's one thing that I notice when I, I look at things like AEW shows, you know, that's that's not a kid's show. I, you know, you know, you look at the pans throughout the audience. There's, there's not kids at that show. And maybe there are. Maybe there's a few here and there. But um, it doesn't look, at least right now, like that's an audience that they're going to cater to. And that is the audience for WWE in a lot of ways. And I understand that um, there's the potential that some of those hardcores can and, and already have, in some cases, move away from the WWE product. Um, but I, I don't put... I don't put too much hope in the fact that they're going to move away from the family oriented stuff, because I mm-hmm. just think that's a that's a cash cow for them, especially if you consider the fact that it doesn't seem to be something that AEW, at least in its early it, it, it's in it, its early shows mm-hmm. uh, is all that interested in. Keep those kids, keep those families, keep, you know, keep them because. Nobody else is trying to get them. So, but maybe it ends up being the opposite effect. Maybe they say, okay, well, we got the kids no matter what, because nobody else is even trying to get the kids. And, you know, then maybe they, they turn it around and they try to do something for the hardcores. I'm, I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic, optimistic that between Heyman and Bischoff showing up the move over to Fox and, you know, obviously they're going to, you would think attempt to step their game up once they get over there. Um, that we could see some uh, some some changes and some things moving in the right direction to to bring the hardcores like you and me back. Yeah, I feel I feel like it could be either way, and we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. As we do with most of these things, we just have to find out what happens and go from there. <laughs> but it has been my absolute pleasure to speak with you, to have a wonderful chat about wrestling, and, and just in, enjoyed you know so much talking with you about extreme rules and sort of what's up next for WWE. If you wouldn't mind, please, sir, tell the Queens courtiers where they can find you and all of that amazing information. Oh, you are too kind. Well, I am crispy Zach of the Spees and the benchmark show. You can find us on Twitter at Spees benchmark, and we are live on Twitch every Monday night, immediately following Monday night raw and on Wednesday nights, at 9 p.m. Central, that's 10 o'clock for those of you on the East Coast. And then on Thursdays on Twitch, we do uh, Wrestle Trivia at, again, 9 p.m. Central, 10 o'clock for those of you on the East Coast, where we give away all kinds of cool stuff, autograph, swag, pop figures, um, all kinds of neat stuff. So once again, we are over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Benchmark. Give us a follow and uh, come and check out the show. And Queen, I hope you will continue to join us on the program as well. We always have a great time in the chats talking uh, talking wrestling with all of you guys so it was my my absolute pleasure to be here on the program with you shout out to all you guys at the brain Buster radio team y'all are doing a great job and again i appreciate the opportunity to come and chat with you oh well as i said earlier open door policy you can come back anytime you want and you know that i will continue to be in the chats and support you guys you're one of my favorite shows that i can tune into i always you know when i'm working have to catch you on replay but uh, I always catch it no matter what. It's a can't miss for me. And I know it's a can't miss for a lot of people listening. And if they're new to you, listen to me now, my friends. Go subscribe on Twitch and follow on Twitter. You will not be disappointed. So thank you again, Speezy, for coming on the show. And stay tuned for what's up next on Queen's Court. 
Alright everyone, it's time for the Queen's Courtier's Questions segment. Boy, that's a tongue twister sometimes. But the first question comes from my pal Tiff, the host of Deadass Podcast and co-host of All Elite Pod. She asks me, who is your list of husbands? Now, if you don't know what that means, just just go find out. She's at loves, L-U-V-S, two, the number, dream, eight, two, you won't be disappointed. Okay, so Tiff, my list of husbands. I'm sure there are quite a few. <laughs> but the people that come to my brain immediately first are Kenny Omega, Finn Balor, and Kip Sabian. I know we share Kip Sabian, and we like totally agreed to share Kip Sabian, so I hope that that offer still stands. But also, get the fan. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, come check out the... Brainbuster Radio Twitch account in which, <laughs> well, just come and check it out and type in exclamation point get the fan as one of our fun commands and you'll see what that means. Thanks, Tiff. The next question is from my pal and yours, Mr. Josh from Wrestling Reverb. He said, first AEW Women's Champion is, and how do you see it being done? A tournament, battle royale, multi-girl match. I would love to see a tournament for this belt. I would like to see all of the women on the roster displayed as we go forward for this title. I feel like Britt Baker is going to be in that title picture. I just feel like that's an easy choice to go with. Uh, and right now, as it stands, I think she's my front runner for the belt. So I think I'll go for that for right now. And as we progress forward, particularly at All Out, I hope to see some things being developed in terms of challengers and and how that's going to be for the women's division. So thank you, Josh. You can find him at Josh Robinson 00. Josh Gell at babygell90 asks, do you think AEW will introduce a mid-card belt and who should be the inaugural champion? Yes, I do. I think they will have a mid-card title. On last week's A Talk It Tuesday with Queen on BBR TV on Twitch, my topic was about AEW belts and who we might think might be the first people to have those belts. And I introduced this concept just for fun of like a never open weight title for AEW. So I thought that would be kind of fun. There needs to be something for the mid card because they have such a strong mid card, I feel like, which is unique in terms of how they're being showcased. Um, so yes, I think they're gonna have a belt and the inaugural champion should probably be MJF. Thank you so much for your question, Josh. The next question is from Mr. Matthew Granberry at Illustrious G40. He asks, if you were in charge of the Bullet Club, what era would it be named? And who, if anybody, would you kick out? Um, well, if I'm going to be the first female leader of Bullet Club, it's going to be called the Queen's Reign, of course. Probably something more clever, but something like that. You know, the queen's reign, queen something. Oh, maybe it'll be the queen's court. I don't know. That could be fun. And who would I kick out? Hmm. Who would I kick out of Bullet Club right now? I feel like I would... Well, I mean, obviously I wouldn't kick out Jay White. Because normally when you have a Bullet Club kicking out somebody, it's usually someone deposing the leader. I feel like just Jay White and I would just reign as king and queen of Bullet Club. But I feel like Chase Owens has to go. So, sorry Chase. See you later. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for the question. The next question is from 
Connor. Connor asks, not wrestling related, but who are your top three favorite bands? Connor, awesome question. I love music, if I haven't made that clear already. I really, truly do. This is hard for me. I have a lot of favorite bands, but the three that are like my tried and true, can't live without, are Death Cab for Cutie, Avenged Sevenfold, and Coheed and Cambria, followed very closely by Ghost. I have a metal rock heart, but a little bit of indie, folk, progressive rock as well. I have a wide variety of music taste. So Connor, awesome question. Thank you so much. From Wilf, how many cabinets do you have in your house? Sub question, why did you actually just count them all? I didn't count them all, but I have a lot of cabinets. The house that I just bought last year has a lot of kitchen space. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. And I have a lot of closet space in this house, which is probably good because I have a lot of stuff. I don't mean to have a lot of stuff. Just somehow I, I just accumulate it. I'm not really sure. I think it comes from my mom. Ugh. Well, thanks, Wolf. That was fun. Zach says, Hey, Royal One. What's up? I hope your overall weekend kicked ass. It did. Thank you. How are your G1 pickums going? Actually, I didn't do G1 pickums. I'm not a bracket girl. I don't really like to do that. So I just kind of have who I think is going to win the whole thing. Who I think is Koto Ibushi was my early pick. But if his ankle is going to play a significant factor, my second choice would be Naito. And Zach also asked, should AEW stop constantly shouting out WWE? I think it needs to be toned down. I don't think we need to focus on that. Really? I understand a few pot shots here and there, but I don't think it needs to be a continuous cycle. Thank you so much. From my pal Kurt from Russell Thoughts Podcast, every single Sunday in Brainbuster Radio, he asks if you could sign any female and male singles competitors and one male tag for AEW, who are you adding to the roster? Why them in particular? And what would they bring to the roster? Okay, first we'll start with the tag team, and that will be LAX. LAX is one of the coolest, most fun, dynamic, interesting, and talented tag teams in the planet. And they need to be in that tag division in AEW. It's already stacked. Cementing them in that tag division, it's on lock, dude. Best tag team wrestling anywhere, hands down. So that would be who I would add there. I would also add somebody a little bit more of the taller, more intimidating, heavyweight style wrestler. That's something I feel like they're lacking. They have a lot of smaller wrestlers and there's nothing wrong with that. I just feel like that's a gap that they need to increase. Like they have Kenny, of course, and Sean Spears and, and Cody to some extent. I would add a big hoss and I would add Jeff Cobb. I think he's dynamic, agile, and a big dude and something that AEW is missing currently. In terms of the ladies, this is a tough one. There's a lot of amazing talent right now and as for free agents that I could add in, there's somebody I could think of right away and that's Scarlett Bodo, but she doesn't come without Killer Cross. So I'm gonna change the rules just a little bit and add Killer Cross to that list as well. I feel like they do very well in WWE and we need that heel couple to kind of dominate and kind of go against the, the Cody Brandy thing, even though Brandy is kind of cementing herself as a heel, right? With Awesome Kong, but you know what I mean. Thank you, Kurt, I appreciate you. And I think, my friends, that's going to do it for the Queen's Courtier's Questions segment. So now we're going to briefly do the Jester and Crown of the Week, because this episode is long, honey. I didn't mean it to be, but here we are. We have so much to cover and a lot to discuss. 
So my gesture of the week is going to go to the comment Cody made about you can't counter program us. I just thought it was in poor taste and unnecessary and took away from the amazing charitable donation that you were giving at that event. So I didn't like that. But as for the crown of the week, <laughs> the crown of the week is going to my guests, Mike Bebe and Spees. We had such amazing conversations about New Japan and WWE. I couldn't have done it without them. And this week was a little bit of a tough one for the queen. So having these conversations really made me feel better. So thank you guys. And that'll do us for this week's episodes of Queen's Court. Thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry this one ran a little long, but I hope you loved it as much as I did. And please also check out my second episode with Visage, British pro wrestler and current one half of the Defiant Tag Team Champions, uh, the Queen of Queens. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with him on Queenie Chats. So as always, have a wonderful rest of your day and please be kind to one another. Mm-hmm.